There are two readings this morning. The first reading, it's Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. The second reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 38 to 41. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. This is God's word. My name is Pete. I am, um, I'm an assistant minister here. I'm new, so, uh, well, go easy on me. And also, it'd be lovely to meet you afterwards, Sarah, and my wife, and our, our kids when you're here. So it'd be lovely to chat, uh, whether today or another day. Let's pray as we come to Habakkuk 1 together. Almighty God, our, our Lord, we pray that whatever crises we're in at the moment, whatever pain and trials, please would you have something for us this morning. We, we cry out to you like Habakkuk and we pray for 
divine help in the midst of our pain and trials. Amen. Did you see it? I mean, the Olympic opening ceremony. Did you see it? Uh, you remember, if you, if, you, if you glimpsed it on TV, they had uh, that incredible virtual rainforest. You know, how, did, how did they do that with the, with the lights and the pyrotechnics? All the, like, 60% of the world's rainforest represented in those pyrotechnics. And then the free running with the, with the moving platforms and everyone stepping from one to another. And then the dancing. Don't worry, I'm not going to dance. It was, in, it was incredible. I mean, I didn't see it because I just watched the highlights on BBC the following day. I'm not... Didn't fancy staying up till 3 a.m. But I thought that was quite something, wasn't it? The most poignant bit for me watching the highlights later was when that guy gets up and he was the Olympic uh, chairman, wasn't he? IOC president. And he stands at a lectern and suddenly it's just him. And after all the pyrotechnics and all the dancers and the thousands and thousands of staff, suddenly it's just a guy in a suit standing at a lectern talking to us. And he says, We are living in a world of crisis mistrust and uncertainty, a world where selfishness is gaining ground, where certain people claim to be superior to others. And here is our Olympic answer. And he goes on to talk about um, the refugee Olympic team, seems like a brilliant idea to me, and the 10,000 athletes that are dining together and living together in the Olympic village all the time. Here's our Olympic answer, he says. All very impressive, as Matt said earlier. It did leave me wondering, is there anything else? Is there any higher court than the Olympic Committee? I hope there is. Is there any, anyone else we can go to to say, look, given every crisis in the world today, what's going to happen, God? I was talking to a removal man earlier this week. We, we moved house and um, we got chatting as I made him a cup of tea and he did all the hard work. And... Um, you know, inevitably these days you start talking about what's happening, terror threats uh, in Europe, here, there, and everywhere. And uh, as we talked, he said, you know, I guess I have faith, but I, I think like a lot of people, I'm just hoping it gets better. You know, hoping that we find a way through the current climate. I sort of nodded. I couldn't think of anything better to say at the moment. I went away and thought, is, is that all we can do? Know that there are a thousand political strategies in the pipeline that are coming our way, but is, is that the best that we can muster as humanity? I really hope it gets better than this. It may be that your mind isn't on um, terror threats and economic injustice and the international stage at the moment. It may be that there's this smaller crisis that's consuming you. Maybe that there's a relationship, uh, the boundaries of which are so tight and you can't see a way out. Maybe that there's a job situation. It may be that there's a, a family issue. And that's your crisis at the moment. Uh, look, God, how am I going to get out of this? Never mind the international stage. In all of that, I wonder what God would say. Well, look, it's good news that you've got this page of your Bible open this morning. I hope you have Habakkuk chapter 1. Because Habakkuk is going to be, he is, and I want to show you that he's a model for us of how to complain to God. And I want to carefully define complain because uh, it might not mean what you instantly think. We'll get to that in just a moment. Okay, so Habakkuk is a model for us of how to live through this stuff and deal with it as a person of faith. We'll get there over the month of August. Um, 
If you're on your holidays, you might catch one or two of these. But we're going to try and see the total totality of his answer. I mean, you'll notice a few hints, like chapter 1, verse 1. We're told this is the prophecy, or, or literally burden, that Habakkuk the prophet received. So this, this is a burden. It's something that's weighing him down, and he's, he wants to pass it on to the people of God. That was his public role. He was a prophet. So he said, I've, I've received this thing from God, but it's not just for me and him. It's, I want to spread it out to the people of God. As a burden. I mean, we'll see next week, um, chapter 1, 13, he refuses to, to mistrust God's character. So he says, look, God, I know that your eyes are too pure to look on evil. So I'm not even going to go there in terms of discussing what, what's up for grabs in your character. We'll see chapter 2, verse 1. He uses the word complaint. That's why, that's why I mentioned it already. I'll see what answer I am given to this complaint. We'll see that there's sort of three cycles in Habakkuk. It goes back and forth and back and forth. So Habakkuk says something, God answers. Habakkuk says something, God answers. And then Habakkuk writes a song at the end. And finally, we'll see. I'd love you just to turn the page to to the final page of Habakkuk. See chapter 3, verse 18. He says, the the top line there, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So, he builds a trajectory which is from the pits up to chapter 3, verse 18, where he's able to say, I will rejoice in God my Savior. So he gets there. Now, that's not an easy road for him or for anybody. It doesn't happen just instantly. But he does, that's his trajectory. He's going there from this point onwards. So I'm excited to, to walk this alongside Habakkuk with you. 1947... When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, um, this cache, this great cache of ancient scrolls in a cave next to the Dead Sea that a shepherd boy discovered, they found a scroll of Habakkuk in there. And not only was it the, the text from the Old Testament, but it had been annotated, and a, and a Jewish scribe had written notes next to it. And um, it was obvious from what he'd written that he was looking for answers in the trial that they were going through in the Jewish community, which was the, the Roman force coming at them. This was 60 B.C., So all down the ages, Habakkuk has been this book that the people of God have looked to for hope and for comfort. So that's all by way of introduction, introducing Habakkuk the prophet. Let's turn to uh, Habakkuk's first question, or his complaint. Habakkuk's first complaint, how long, O Lord? You'll see there's an outline on the back of your service sheets. Verses 2 to 4, how long, O Lord? I want to carefully define this, this idea of complaint for you, because although it's there in chapter 2, verse 1, it's not like um, he's making a corporate complaint. And perhaps when we hear the word complaint in our culture, we think of that. You know, I'm, I'm phoning up the, the corporate hotline to voice my complaint that my broadband has not been connected in time, and I'm angry. And this is not an acceptable level of service. That's not what he's doing, although that might be what we think. He's not going to spread it abroad on social media and and tag in the Lord God because he wants to grumble about his complaint to everybody. Rather, it's more like the use of the word complaint that we might use when we go to the doctor. And we walk into the doctor's surgery and uh, we sit down in the chair and the doctor says, hello, what can I do for you? What's your complaint today? And we might say, look, I've got got a bad back. I mean, it's, it's been troubling me for a long time. It's, it's just painful for me. I, I just want to know, 
how long is this going to go on for? That's my complaint. Is there anything you can do? So when we use the language of complaint in Habakkuk's terms, it's as, as people going to someone who we trust has got answers, has got more knowledge than us, and can help us in our pain. Still, he says, how long, O Lord? I do want to observe with you that when he says that, see verse 2, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Just, just observe with me, that is the language of faith, even though it's a question. What he's not saying is, oh God, will you ever do something? You know, I don't really believe you're going to. He's saying, how long is it going to be, Lord? Because I know it's coming sometime. So it's just a question of when, not if. I think it took me some time in my formal education, of which I seem to have had some years now, um, just to realize that asking a question in class is okay, you know, is, is not a sign of horrible weakness that I should be ashamed of. Uh, it's, it's not that embarrassing just to put up my hand and say, sorry, I don't really understand this. Could, could you help me? Rather, I suppose, as I look back on education now, uh, that, is, that is the sign of a good pupil, isn't it? When they're able just to put their hand up and say, sorry, I'm struggling with this. I want to be stronger in this area or this subject. I want your help, teacher. But can you sort of help get me through this? I need some answers. So a raised hand isn't a weakness so much as a sign of, I, I want to grow. And you compare that to anti-faith. If, if I'm somebody who doesn't have any faith in any God, then that's a difficult place to be in when you're suffering, isn't it? I mean, in that position, there's no one I can put up my hand and ask a question to. There's, there's no teacher in the room who I can ask. There's, there's no one I can appeal to. Faith may have questions, but unbelief has not even got anyone to ask. A couple of months ago, I received a threatening letter. And um, it was from the magistrate's court, and we'd forgotten to tax our car, tax this, etc. We'd moved house, I didn't update the address. Long, boring story. But um, we've got to tax our car, and it got to the point where they were saying, you need to attend the magistrate's court on this date, or pay the fine in due course, otherwise bad stuff is going to happen. And they put this astronomical sum at the bottom, you know, the, the fine that's going to be levied on you if you don't do what they're asking. So, um, like a good citizen, I, I got on the phone, first working day I could, and I, I phoned up the magistrate's court, and it rang, and it rang, and it rang. It was just this, this phone, the number on the letter they'd given me, just ringing and ringing and ringing. So I was anxious, I put the phone down, waited two minutes and rang again. Again, it rang and rang and rang, and nothing happened. I did, this, I did that five times that morning, and uh, no answer at all. Did it again in the afternoon, no answer whatsoever. Again the following day, still no answer. I'm beginning to panic, you know, if the time elapses, the fine is imposed, or the bailiffs come round and pound on my door, and I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just can't get through to this magistrate's court. Eventually I phoned up James Harrison for his expert legal advice, a member of the congregation here, and he said, try emailing them. So I emailed them. And <laughs> apparently they prefer email because they replied quite soon after that. Anyway, the point is, um, if, you're, if you've got this, this question about justice and you can never get through, that's supremely frustrating and irritating and ultimately hopeless. 
I'm dying to get through to, to God because I've got this question. How long, O oh Lord? But, but I, I can't seem to get through. I've been reading this book recently called When God Weeps by Joni Erickson Tada. She was a teenage girl um, growing up. She dived into a swimming pool one day, and it was shallower than she realized, and she, she hit the bottom of the pool and was paralyzed instantly. So from that moment onwards, as a teenager, she's never moved a limb. She's been quadriplegic. And decades further on, she, she writes books about suffering. And it, it seems to me that she's got more uh, kudos when she talks about suffering because she's lived with that for years and years and years. But she's a Christian woman. And before she gets to all the answers about suffering, before, before she weighs in and says, this is what the Bible says, and she does that very ably, She's able to put this question of, of Habakkuk's and of the sufferer, I think, really, really well, as one, someone who's suffered. And she says, look, if this question is true, verse 3, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? If that's true, that God tolerates wrongdoing, then we need to see that for what it is. It, it is the case that every mugging in a dark alley Every injustice and bribe that's taken in a quiet corner, every murder in guerrilla warfare, and every wrong that's committed in a relationship, God must see that if he's God. And he must choose not to do something in the way we expect right there and then. So she's just, she's just quite upfront about that. And she says, that's the question, isn't it? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Why, God, how do you see all that and not do anything right there and then? which must make us ask, what's the answer, mustn't it? Okay, so what? The Lord speaks, verses 5 to 11. Habakkuk's had his complaint, how long, O Lord? And then we get the Lord's answer. Look and be astounded. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. That's the beginnings of the Lord's answer. We'll see that over the weeks it unfolds. The Lord comes back and says more things again. The Lord does answer, though. He does have something to say to Habakkuk's complaint. It's not that Habakkuk's suffering and the, and the issues of Judah are just, ah, I don't really mind. I've got planets spinning and stars coming into being. I don't care about you. He does answer. But we should say that the, the answers aren't simple. I mean, I wish I could get a a postcard for all of you, eight by six, and I could write down the answer to suffering and evil and hand it to you on the way out. And then, ah, thank you very much. We, we've, we've done our work this morning. That's all done. It's never that easy in life or in the Bible. But he does answer. In particular, he says three things in these verses, three, three things today in the Lord's answer. Firstly, verse five, my ways are astounding. You see verse 5? Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed or astounded in other translations. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. That is that we ought to be ready for this. That, and I know this isn't the easiest thing to hear if you're right in the middle of everything, but we ought to be ready for God to say something surprising to us.
the Bake Off is rather popular in our household, Great British Bake Off, and you, I guess you get an echo of this there, where you know they, they, you've got Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry, and they come round and they've got their expert knowledge. And sometimes you get a contestant who is really good, and they stand out from the crowd, and they're on their technical bake or whatever, and they, they do something with the ingredients. They, they, they combine everything in such a way, or they come up with such an intricate 3D design that Mary and Paul come around and say, wow. You know, that, I mean, I'm, that is utterly astounding. I would never have thought that I could, you could put together the ingredients there in such a way. You could use the time that we've given you and do that. But you're, you're obviously just brilliant at this. And look, if you scale that up like a billion times, then it ought to be possible, Lord, it, for, for, for God with his expert knowledge to do something with the ingredients that we see around us that just surprises us, that's, that's just utterly astounding. And we think, at the end of time, perhaps with the benefit of all, all hindsight, ah, yes, that's amazing. So firstly, God says that my ways are astounding. Secondly, he says, I am bringing judgment. Verses five to six, look, the thing that's astounding, the thing that you wouldn't believe even if you were told, is that I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to see his dwellings, not their own. Babylonians perhaps doesn't mean very much to us in those days, but I think in, the, in, the, in Habakkuk's hearing, he would have sort of stepped back. <gasps> Theatrical gasp. You're raising up the Babylonians. They were the rising superpower in those days. Habakkuk was writing between 609 and 601 BC, as far as we can tell. And they were the star that was in the ascendancy. And so God is saying, them, yeah, I'm doing that. Which must have left him scratching his head. And yet, if, we, if we're Bible readers, this, this ought to be familiar to us. You know, you, you read the whole sweep of the Bible, and God is capable of doing this, raising up someone for judgment. Romans 1 in the New Testament would have a lot to say to us about how it's possible for God to take human sin and judge it with what seems like more chaos. I worked, for, I worked for a year as a prison guard, which was just a bizarre experience. I was, I was particularly young and especially middle class and unsuited to that environment. And it was this low security uh, prison, uh, but it was a fascinating learning experience for me. And uh, I was surrounded by other staff and prison guards who were sort of ex-military men and um, shaved heads and big black boots. And I was out of my depth. But uh, that's another story. <clears throat> um, Sometimes you get someone come off the prison van in the yard who was just, you know, falling to bits, emotions everywhere, and furiously angry. They didn't want to be there, obviously. So they'd bite and scratch and kick, and they'd thump anyone and anything they could find, or staff or fellow inmate. And what would happen is, five minutes of this behavior, and the order would come down from our superiors, you've got to to put them in the isolation room, because there's no way we can sort of contain them if they're going to behave like this so you'd have to put them in this just blank white room with nothing on the walls no furniture no nothing that they can hurt themselves or anybody else on and shut the door on them until they'd learned just from bitter experience that if they run up against the wall or if they bang on the door if they shout and scream there's not a lot we can do with that sort of behavior When God hands someone over for judgment, when, when he sees 
suffering on a domestic level in Judah. And he says, I'm going to give you what seems like more suffering. That can be a divine way of saying, this is how I behave in the medium term. It doesn't take away from the fact that in the long term there's a big judgment coming when God will right every wrong and he'll repay everything and it'll be perfectly just. It doesn't take away from that, but it is one of God's means of saying, you want to behave violently? You want injustice and corruption and bribery? I can give you that on an international scale. So God says, my ways are astounding. I'm bringing judgment. And thirdly, he says, I know all about evil. Would you look with me at verses 6 to 11? He says, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They're a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock at kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earth and ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. God says, look, I know about their diplomacy, their cavalry, and their artillery. I know about their diplomacy, verses 6 and 7. I know they're ruthless and impetuous. I know what they're like. You know, take whatever isn't theirs. They don't give a thought to you know, delegates and um, diplomacy and ambassadors. They're feared and dreaded. They do whatever they want and they promote their own honor. I know about their diplomacy. He says, I know about their cavalry, verses 8 and 9. I feel that too. They're swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. The cavalry gallops headlong and their horsemen come from afar. Apparently the Babylonians were known from this. They would just whoosh, pounce on an army. And then if there were any survivors, they'd chase after them. God says, I know that too. I know how ruthless they are when there's an option to show mercy and they just slit the guy's throat. I know about their diplomacy, their cavalry, and their artillery. You get this hint in verse 10. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. Apparently that was the way they used to capture a walled city. They'd build a big mound of earth, 13,000 tons of rubble apparently it takes to build them around, and they'd build it all the way up to the wall and they'd trundle up there with their siege weapons and their cavalry and their foot so They'd pour over the top and they'd burn the city. God says, I, I know that. I know what they do. I, I feel it. Of course, the, that can just be words if someone says, I know how you feel. But when Jesus Christ comes to earth, if you, if you fast forward 600 years, Jesus Christ is one of those sufferers of faith who's able to say I, I know how this feels I know how it feels to be born in dirt poverty when there's no medical supplies I know how it feels to try and scrape together a living in a carpenter's shed I know what it feels like to try and start a ministry and, and do something for God and then just get shunned and rejected even by the people you love I know what it's like to stand before a kangaroo court and know that you're right and just be sent down sent for execution I know what it's like to be smashed up against a beam of wood and die there suffocating for hours I know that so God is able to say I know all about evil 
He's also able to answer the other things that we've seen in the Lord's answer. I just find this incredible. So when God says, my ways are astounding, Paul uses that in the New Testament, in Acts 13, in the bit that we've read. And, and he says, you wouldn't believe. But God has raised this Jesus from the dead and he's going to judge everybody. That is astounding. So in his incarnation, God knows what it's like. In his resurrection, God knows what it's like and he does something astounding. And in Jesus' return, he says, I am also bringing judgment. Finally, completely, totally. My ways are astounding. I am bringing judgment and I know all about evil. Our God is able to save. No, just finally, will you lament like Habakkuk? I wonder if you could pray like Habakkuk, sing like Habakkuk, and get a Habakkuk. I know that sounds a bit weird. Let me just explain. Um, can you pray like Habakkuk? It seems to me that this prophet, this guy in the Bible, has got a way of dealing with God, which is healthy. So I wonder if you can, you can pray like Habakkuk. What that means is don't just use your complaints as a grumbling ground. You know, I'm just going to voice this displeasure everywhere to anyone who will listen. I haven't actually talked to God about it. Oh, I should probably do that. You know, he seems to know what to do. I'll, I'll take my complaint to God and talk to him. Could you sing like Habakkuk? You may have glimpsed at the very end of the book, the last words are, are musical directions. He seems to have been some sort of musician, wrote this song at the end for, for other people to use. So can you sing like Habakkuk? Is there anything you can sing in your current crisis? Matt mentioned this CD earlier, which is using the words of the Psalms, the lament Psalms, to try and give suffering Christians something they can say. And maybe when there's no words left and you can't feel like music is the appropriate thing, that, that could be a good way of praying biblical things to music. Can you pray like Habakkuk, sing like Habakkuk, or can you get a Habakkuk? By which I mean, is there somebody the Lord has put in your life who has suffered and sometimes you can just tell this from the way they are can't you you know they've they've weathered storms they've they've been a person of faith they've cried tears and but you've got to be sensitive about the way you do this you don't walk up to them and say i know you've suffered so please can i learn from it uh, rather there are ways of drawing alongside them and learning from their faith and their life which i think is an appropriate parallel to what we're learning from habakkuk indeed from jesus christ and his suffering you pray and sing and get a Habakkuk. This is, as we begin our studies in Habakkuk this month, this is a vision of a mature faith. You don't read Habakkuk and think, oh, that's very shallow. Mm, how naive. Rather, it feels like he's, he's wept and endured and cried out to God and brought his complaint to the right place. So let's pray together that instead of dabbling in the shallows and thinking how, how naive this engagement with all our crises to go to God and take our complaint to him. Let's pray that now. Our Father God, in the midst of all that's going on in our lives and in the world, we cry out to you like the prophet Habakkuk with hope in our Savior Jesus that please would you teach us to suffer, 
Help us to pray and sing like he did. And we pray you'd put Habakkuk's around us as we wait for your final judgment. We pray by the power of the Spirit, in the name of our Savior, and for your glory. Amen.